Blog Talk Radio. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me.
great chapter on last week. And we saw on last week that there were many things in Revelation chapter 7 that we have heard before, um, but didn't understand and perhaps didn't understand rightly. That there are many questions that needed to be answered, and that in answering those questions, it would tend to lead us to an interpretation of Revelation chapter 7 that, although it is um, familiar historically, um, does not align with the most dominant and prevalent interpretation of our day. Talked about the dominant and prevalent interpretation of Revelation chapter 7 and that number that we know perhaps better than any other number in Revelation, 144,000, and how we have, uh, for the most part, been told through popular books and popular teachers and, again, the predominant view of our day, that that 144,000 represented uh, ethnic Jews who were sealed after the secret rapture of the Gentile church. We saw, however, that a careful examination of that passage and of those numbers led to a different reading, a different understanding, and a different interpretation of Revelation chapter 7. What I want to do is read the chapter today in its entirety, and then look at the second portion. We looked at the first portion of last week. We'll look at the second portion. We'll go back to the first portion and show how the second portion actually fortifies the interpretation and the conclusions that we came to on last week, and then make further observations as John gives us an even broader picture of what it is that he is trying to communicate through his use of these numbers. So if you'll join me, Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, we will try to get a better understanding of the flow of this chapter. Remember, Revelation chapter 7 comes right after we have seen the judgments of the seals in Revelation chapter 6, but before the slitting of the seventh seal. Also, we recognize that in Revelation chapter 7, we've actually gone back to the first seal, to before the first seal was broken and before the judgments began, that those who are sealed on earth answer the great question at the end of chapter 6, as the world has been judged and this judgment is almost complete, the question comes in verse 17, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Can't understand Revelation chapter 7 apart from understanding that question. John sees the judgment of the world in Revelation chapter 6. This judgment is almost complete. And the question comes, as God's wrath is poured out on the world, who can stand? How can anyone survive this complete wrath of God? And again, complete wrath of God, because we talk about seven seals, and that number seven is extremely important in that it is a number of completion or completeness when we read it in the scriptures, when we read it in in, in Revelation. Um, And so right after that question is asked, We go from the sixth seal, not to the seventh seal. 
but to Revelation chapter 7 and a different kind of ceiling, if you will. There is where we read, after this I saw, please pay attention, I've said this before, but pay attention to his sensory perception, what he sees and then what he hears. That's going to be very important. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Again, clues pointing us back to the beginning. He says, do not harm anything until I've sealed the servants. Well, if this happens after the sixth seal, it makes no sense. If, however, he has gone back to the first seal to fill in information, it makes all the sense in the world. And I heard, again, he went from seeing to hearing, just like in Revelation chapter 5 before the throne. He went from seeing to hearing and then back to seeing again. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked. He didn't see 144,000. He heard 144,000. He saw the angels. He heard a number. Now he looks. Again, in Revelation chapter 5, he sees, and then he hears, and then he sees again. In Revelation chapter 5, he goes back and forth between the lamb and the lion. But the lamb and the lion represent the same individual, Christ. Here he goes back and forth between hearing 144,000 and seeing a great multitude that no one could number, as we've said on last week. And here, in a literary sense, we see the way it flows together. The 144,000 that he heard and the multitude that he sees are the same people. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. 
blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might, notice seven things, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, now we're not going to deal with this this week, but it's important for the point that we're making about the flow of the chapter. He said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white with the blood of the Lamb. Now, again, we'll, we'll make this point again next week when we get to it. But if the 144,000 represent ethnic Jews only who were sealed after the secret rapture of the Gentile church, and the secret rapture of the Gentile church happens before the great tribulation so that the Gentile church doesn't go through the great tribulation, then why is this great multitude that no one could number the multitude that made its robes white in the great tribulation? If they are not ethnic Jews, but came from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in their midst of the, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And all God's people said, Amen. It is difficult not to get into all of this. It is difficult. To, it was difficult last week just to pause at those first eight verses. It's difficult this week just to deal with verses 9 through 12. But we have to understand this. We've got to get it all and soak it all in. And on this week, we look at the gospel as it advances and the great fruit that it bears. It becomes more obvious when we look at the chapter in its entirety that John is making one statement, one group of people. In the first part of the chapter, he references this group of people with the highly symbolic number that has been used before in Revelation and is used again in Revelation to represent the people of God throughout the ages. The 12 elders and the 12 apostles, the 24 before the throne representing the people of God in the Old and the New Testament. Now we have 12 times 12 times 1,000, which gets us the number 144,000. We looked on last week at this unique list of the tribes, this list that doesn't exist anywhere else in the entire Bible in this way and how we couldn't really explain why John would give us this list in this particular way until we realized that this list was a symbolic rendering 
of the same group of individuals that we see before the throne in this innumerable multi-ethnic multitude. And so he gives us this list that is out of birth order, putting Judah first. It's not completely unusual for Judah to be listed first when especially you are pointing to the supremacy of Christ, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Reuben being listed second, and then the children of the concubines being listed next, completely out of order, to make a statement. Manasseh being listed, but not Ephraim, which is confusing, because if we're talking about the tribes of Israel, you list Ephraim and Manasseh and not Joseph. If you're talking about the sons of Israel, you list Joseph and not Ephraim and Manasseh. Here they list Joseph and Manasseh, but not Ephraim. What is he trying to communicate? He also leaves off the tribe of Dan. So that just doesn't make sense to us at all. If you're talking about the tribes and the land that they inherit, you wouldn't have Levi. If you're talking about the sons, you don't have Manasseh, and you don't exclude Dan. But if you are making a statement using a symbolic number, talking about the people of God as a whole, and if you are talking about the inclusion of outsiders and particularly the inclusion of Gentiles, then you do add Manasseh. If the statement has to do with being sealed and enduring through the great tribulation without taking the beast's mark because you belong to God and will not worship the beast and will not commit apostasy or idolatry, then you exclude the tribe of Dan because that's exactly what they were guilty of taking the ten tribes off into. Makes all the sense in the world. Makes even more sense when you realize the use of his sensory perception. I saw, then I heard, then I saw. The same thing that we see in Revelation chapter 5, when he comes before these seals, and, and nobody can break the seal on this scroll. But then the angel tells him something that he hears about the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is worthy. When he looks, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. Is the lion someone different than the lamb? No. Are the 144,000 a group different than the innumerable multi-ethnic multitude? No. It's the same group. One is looking at this group on the earth, being sealed before the Great Tribulation. Right afterwards, we see this group in heaven having come through the Great Tribulation. But there are some things that we see about this group that are extremely important for us to make note of. As we look at verses 9 through 12, let's make note of this group. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. This talks about the reach of the gospel, a great multitude that no one could number, more numerous than we could imagine. This is incredibly important for a number of reasons. First, it's important to John. Think about who John is 
where John is, his circumstances. John is on the island of Patmos. Why is he on the island of Patmos? Well, he's on the island of Patmos because he's been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's been exiled to the island of Patmos. The gospel is going forth, and people are being saved. But apart from what we see in Acts with those numbers, 2,000 and 5,000 and 10,000 and so on and so forth, we don't see the church advancing like that throughout all of the then known world. There were churches, to be sure, but for the most part, they were small in number. We did not have the gatherings of thousands of people in Ephesus, for example, or in Corinth, or in Laodicea, or Thessalonica, so on and so forth. See, John didn't live during a time where there were millions upon millions upon multiplied millions of Christians. Here he is at the end of the first century. And though the gospel is advancing for sure, there's no way to know what the end result is going to be. And certainly no way, especially because they believe that the return of Christ was absolutely imminent and would probably happen within their own lifetimes. Certainly they had no way of imagining just how many people would be saved before the end came. John couldn't have wrapped his number, wrapped his mind around that number. Secondly, take this away. You, just like John, should be made optimistic about the reach of the gospel when you read this number. John sees this number. Here he is on the island of Patmos. The apostles are dying off. He's the last. He's wondering if this thing is going to take. What's going to happen? When is the end going to come? Whom is God going to gather? How is he going to gather them? How many will be gathered? How long do we have? He doesn't know any of that. Now he sees this great multitude. He sees more people than are in existence in his world. Let me say that again. If John's looking at the multitude of Christians who will be saved through this great tribulation, by the way, the tribulation that he announces himself to be a part of in chapter 1, he's looking at a number that is larger than the population of the world during his lifetime. John, there are going to be more people saved by the work of Jesus Christ than exist on the world today. That's good news, y'all. Christ is going to have the fullness of his reward, and it's greater than anything you can imagine. John, you know what? The same is true when said to you. Christ is going to have the fullness of his reward, and that number is greater than anything that you or you or you or you or you or I can imagine. We tend to be incredibly pessimistic about the advance of the gospel. Many of us tend to think it's ironic. We, we, we talk about lost people and, and how lost people are just so deceived because they think, you know, there's only like four or five people who are going to be in hell. You know, Hitler, Mussolini, people who do horrible things that end up on the news, but certainly not just ordinary people who live down the street. 
So we, we always think, we look at lost people and we go, you just don't understand. You don't understand the holiness of God. You don't understand the righteousness of God. And you think hell could be contained within a room of this size where there's only a few people. You know what? See, on the other end, we really don't believe that there's going to be that many people in heaven. We really don't believe that there are that many people who get it. We really don't believe there are that many Christians in the world today because the fact of the matter is they can only be truly Christian if they agree with us on everything. And how many people are that? You can't say amen. You ought to say ouch. And so here we are. I get it. Nobody else does. It's like Elijah. We're just absolutely convinced that we're the only ones who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. God says to Elijah, God says to John, and God says to you, get over yourself. There's a lot more people going to heaven than you think, and that's good news. That's good news. This ought to also motivate us toward mission and evangelism. John looks and he sees this number. Do you know what that says to him? The work that you have been called to do will be successful. Amen. That's good news. John looks and he sees this number that's larger than the number of people who exist on the earth at that time. What that says is the mission of the church will be successful, successful, and it will bear fruit. The gospel will bear much fruit. As we preach, God is going to save his elect, and there are more of them than you can possibly imagine. So go preach and preach and preach and preach and preach. Because you can't preach to enough people to make this come to pass. Amen? Passionate about seeing those souls come to faith in Christ. And we ought to be confident about the fact that the gospel that we preach will bear much fruit. Not terrified. Because there's so few people who are ever going to hear and believe. But confident. Because there's more people than you could possibly imagine. It should also humble us. Because, I, I mean, really, quite honestly, we, we think about the dimensions of the New Jerusalem, and we think, man, God's made a lot of space for me and that small band of people who agree with me on everything. We just going to be rattling around in there. Humble yourself. There are more Christians than you can imagine. There are more Christians than you know. And there are going to be more Christians than you or I can ever fathom. There are people all around you who have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. There are people all around this world who have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we listen to the news, and really, if we're honest, we say, man, nobody's saved. Or, or is it just me? We walk around and we talk to people and we meet people and we just say that just, no, there just aren't any Christians. We turn on the television and we hear blasphemy and heresy and we just say, 
not being preached. We've talked about this before, but please, let me caution you again. Stop talking about what the church is not doing. Stop talking about what the church is not. Stop talking about where the church has failed. Just stop it because it ain't true. There is a true church. There are true Christians. There are people who believe the gospel. There are people who are being shaped in righteousness. There are people who are following hard after Jesus Christ. There are churches that are holding to sound doctrine. There are preachers out there who are living their lives devoted to Christ and devoted to the sheep whom they've been called to shepherd. Just because you don't know them doesn't mean they don't exist. You have no idea. None whatsoever. So just stop it. Oh, if the church would only. The church is everything that Christ says she is. Amen? Not only is the reach of the gospel so significant that those who are saved are more numerous than you can imagine, but they're also more diverse than you can imagine. This is something that an area where we as Americans have an advantage. There are other areas where we don't have an advantage, but this is an area where we as Americans have an advantage, especially those of us who live here in the greater Houston area. One of the two or three most ethnically diverse parts of the country or major cities in the United States. And so we have a distinct advantage here. We think this way where most people just simply cannot. The church throughout most of history, and even today throughout most of the world, is monoethnic. Most of the Christians throughout history and most of the Christians in the world today gather among a group of believers who look and smell and talk just exactly like they do. It's not like what we experience in the United States especially in a place like Houston. It's just not like that. In most of the countries in the world, they don't walk around and see just mass varieties of people. It just doesn't happen. I remember the first time that um, Trey and, and, and I went to, to Zambia. And so there we were, we were. We were there. We had been in Zambia, I guess, for a couple of days. And we, you know, we were walking around and doing all the things we were doing. And we went to church to Kabwata Baptist Church. There were Comrade Mbewe is the pastor. And we went to, to church at Kabwata, and an interesting thing happened. A white person walked up, and Trey and I kind of looked at each other. Not a word was spoken between the two of us, but each of us knew what the other was thinking. That's the first white person I've seen in three days. <laughs> most of the world is like that. In most of the world... People never see outsiders, strangers, foreigners. In most of the world, people only see other people with skin pigmentation almost identical to their skin pigmentation. But here, before the throne, when John looks at the result of God's sealing of his people, and bringing them through the tribulation, he sees not only an innumerable multitude, but listen to what he says. 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Remember what we said about that number four? We understand that number three is both the rhythm of the letter, it's also the number that refers to God, but that number four, you remember what that number refers to? Let, let, let me see if we can sort of refresh our memory. Because we saw it earlier on in the chapter. And this, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. You see, the number four in apocalyptic literature, and particularly in Revelation, represents the entirety of the earth. When you see those four corners, again, we talked about it on last week, God's not saying to his people that the earth is square, nor did God's people take that away from the scripture that the earth is square. But that number four represents the totality of the earth, all four directions, the north, the south, the east, the west. It's the totality of the earth. So when John describes this multitude that is innumerable, how does he describe this multitude? From every nation, all tribes, and peoples, and languages. Four. He could have used any number. All hues. All regions. All whatever. He could have used five descriptors or six. But he uses four. And he uses it for a particular reason. That the gospel will reach all the earth. The gospel will reach all the earth. The gospel will reach all the earth. Jesus says this, does he not? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, in Samaria, and even in the remotest parts of the world, places like America. Amen. We are part of the fulfillment of that promise. Now, usually we're so egocentric that we think we're the center of the promise, you know, and so we read that and we go, you know, in Jerusalem, and that, that's right here where we live, and all Judea, that's kind of our whole region, and, you know, Samaria, that's where those other people are, the remotest parts of the earth. You know, that's kind of like over there in the Middle East. And No, actually, the Middle East is where the promise was made. That's the center of the universe, not us. We're the remotest parts of the earth. We're not the origin of the promise or the epicenter of the promise. We're the fulfillment on the outskirts of the promise. Amen? There's something else here. And this goes back to why he uses that number that he uses before. Because here's the question, why use the tribes of Israel in the first part of the chapter? Yeah, I mean, even though the list is mixed up, well, why, why use that? Why use that number? Why, why use 144,000? Why use 12 times 12 times 1,000? Why make the direct reference to Israel? Why do that if what you mean is this innumerable multi-ethnic multitude? Here's why. Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12 included all the nations of the earth. Don't just take my word for it. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Why does John give us that number, symbolic of the tribes of Israel, along with the other 12, the people of God in the New Testament, in referring to this mixed multitude, this multi-ethnic multitude that comes through the tribulation? Why does he point to ethnic Israel at all? Because the Gentiles are the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. That's why. And so here we have those sealed on earth, and there is a picture of this promise that God makes to his people in the Old Testament that is not really fulfilled completely until those of us who are Gentiles are grafted in, as we find in Romans chapter 11. The reason that he uses this picture is because we are, as Paul says in Galatians 6, the Israel of God. I am Israel. You are Israel. Unless we run off from here, beating up the straw man known as replacement theology, that is not the Reformed belief. The Reformed belief is not, nor has it been, that the church has replaced Israel, but that we have been grafted into Israel, that we are Israel that we are the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham, who is the father of the faithful. This is what Jesus tried to communicate to the Pharisees in John chapter 8. Those who are sons of, his, of Abraham are his sons by faith. This is why Paul says not all Israel is Israel. But those by faith. Therefore, there is no contradiction for John to first use this number and a reference to ethnic Israel and then come back and refer to this multi-ethnic innumerable multitude. Which is it? Is it ethnic Israel or is it the totality of those who will come to faith in Christ? The answer, yes. Which is it? Is it the lion or is it the lamb? The answer is yes. Same pattern he uses here. Here's what this also means. The reach of the gospel means that it is the hope of the nations. The gospel is the hope of the nations. There's all this talk about spreading democracy. That's not the hope of the nations. Amen? That's not the hope of the nations. 
The hope of the nations is the spread of the gospel. Aside from the reach of the gospel, there's also this picture of the power of the gospel. Notice what happens. Look, look at this. What's the question in chapter 6 and verse 17? Let's read it again. Let's go back to verse uh, 16. B. They're calling from the mountains. They say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Do you see that? Hide us from the one seated on the throne and hide us from the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, who can stand? Hide us from the one seated on the throne. Hide us from the Lamb. Because the one seated on the throne and the Lamb are pouring out their wrath in Revelation chapter 6. And who can stand before the one on the throne and the Lamb who are pouring out their wrath on sinful humanity and the earth? Now. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, what? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Hide us from the throne and from the Lamb, because who can stand before the throne and the Lamb? Good question. Here's the answer. Those who are sealed on the earth and who as a result of being sealed on the earth make it through the great tribulation those are the ones who can stand before the lamb and before the throne what it means is that it's the gospel that transforms us and it is by the power of the gospel that we endure. It first means that the gospel is able to make us righteous. Both the declared righteousness that we have and the actual righteousness that is produced as we're sanctified. So both justification and sanctification bring us to this place of glorification. And that's what this is here. This is the glorification part of our salvation. So we have our justification and our adoption, our sanctification, which is real. And the result of that is we're clothed in white robes. Those white robes we later on find are righteous deeds. So it's not just the declaration of our righteousness that have us standing before God, but it is the actual righteousness that is brought about as a result, as a natural outgrowth of that justification. We are declared righteous, and we are made righteous. And it's because we are made righteous that we stand before his throne and before the Lamb. There is no one on earth who in and of himself can endure the seals. No one. But there are those who are set apart by God who will endure. Here's the other thing that we know. It means that they make it through the tribulation, not that they're raptured out of the tribulation. We make it through the tribulation. We are not raptured out of the tribulation. We make it through the tribulation. We are not raptured out of the tribulation, which we know because the tribulation is now not coming. 
now. All of these things we see now. The storms and the earthquakes and the wars and the famine and the death of multiplied multitudes and thousands upon thousands of people. It's now. How do you watch the slaughter in Rwanda of Hutus and Tutsis? Bodies that are being killed to such a great degree that there's no time to bury them and say that the tribulation is coming. How do we see the Holocaust and say that the tribulation is coming? How do we see the wars that we've seen in the past and that we see in our day and say that the tribulation is coming? How on earth? It is here. Everything that we're reading about, it is here, and it is only intensifying. Will it intensify before the end of the age? Yes, it will. As will the advance of the gospel, by the way. But it's here, and it's now. We're saved through it. That's the power of the gospel to keep us in the midst of tribulation and save us through tribulation. How do you endure when sick, insane people do sick, insane things by being sealed by the one on the throne and the Lamb? How do you endure when the very earth groans and shakes by being sealed by the one on the throne and the Lamb? How do you endure when the winds of heaven blow through a place and bring with it torrential rains and hurricanes come and wipe out entire towns? How do you endure that? By being sealed by the one on the throne and by the Lamb. How do you endure when a tsunami can wipe across entire villages and wipe out everything by being sealed by the one on the throne and by the Lamb? How do you endure when madmen walk into schools and kill babies or when they do it in abortion clinics by being sealed by the one on the throne and by the Lamb. That's how. That's the only way. There is no other way. Endure what we endure and to stand faultless before the throne on that day. This is the power of the gospel. And then here's the beauty. This is the beauty of the gospel. Its reach is magnificent. Its power is awesome. But look at its beauty. You see, in chapter 5, we did not hear the song of the redeemed. Now, the redeemed speak in heaven. There's a new song in heaven. It's never been there before. Folks, angels are not redeemed. 
Amen? And so here is our God before the throne. And we see this in chapter 5. Here is our God on his throne. Here is the Lamb. And here are the angels and these 24 heavenly creatures. Watch what happens here. Standing before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The angels don't know that song because they're not saved. The beauty of the gospel is that it changes the very worship of heaven. God, throughout all eternity past, has been worshipped and glorified and worthy of worship and glory. But this great God has made man in his image and has redeemed man through the blood of his son on the cross. And as a result of that, heaven is occupied with new worshipers, with a new song. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. We, we, we get a glimpse of it when we gather here as the people of God. This is, you know, sometimes it, it, when I use what preachers sometimes sometimes call my sanctified imagination, and I listen to us sing, especially in those moments where the music drops out and you hear our voices, I have this picture in my mind of angels who just hush for a minute because they can't sing what we can sing. They've not experienced what we've experienced. They've only been able to see it, but you and I have been transformed by it. We are redeemed by it. We are changed by it. This also changes what the angels sing. They sang this sevenfold chorus in chapter 5. And again, seven is the number of completeness or completion. So they're offering complete worship to God, but they change their sevenfold song. In their sevenfold song, what do they say? Look at verse 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Here it is. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What's changed? They took out wealth and replaced it with thanksgiving. It's a new song. The angels had to add thanksgiving to their song as they look at the people of God, sealed on the earth and redeemed in heaven. Not even the angels can worship the same way as the result of our redemption. 
gospel changes earth and heaven forever. And only the gospel does that. This is a glorious picture for multiple reasons. And we haven't even gotten into the juicy part of it where there's the interaction in heaven and God wipes away all the tears from our eyes. We haven't even gotten to the part where the very residue of this great tribulation is wiped off of us. And yet we've already seen enough to be overwhelmingly grateful for the reach of the gospel. Incomprehensible. The power of the gospel. That in the midst of a world where every last creature deserves to be utterly destroyed as the seals are opened, God, in his sovereign grace, reaches down, seals, preserves, and saves an innumerable multitude in order that his glory in heaven might be magnified all the more. This is our God. This is our gospel. This is our hope. And this is a mere shadow of the reality that is yet to come for those who endure to the end. social with Truth Be Told Radio. Check us out on our Facebook like page as Truth Be Told Radio. You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O.com. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you'd like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as truth, the letter B, then told radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B. T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is truth, the letter B only, not B-E, told radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio.
In March of 2020, churches in North America and around the world were instructed by governing authorities to shut their doors. A deadly pandemic was said to be sweeping the globe. Only essential services should remain open, and the church was not essential. Many churches complied. In fact, famous pastors like Andy Stanley, Rick Warren, and then Southern Baptist President J.D. Greer said they'd keep their churches shuttered until the next year. People on the other end of this argument, I keep hearing them say over and over, the Lord commands us to meet. The Lord commands us to meet. He does not. God requires us to meet. Oh. The very nature of who we are, the ecclesia. We are a gathered people. In the 17th century, John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, was arrested and put in prison for holding unlawful meetings, preaching to groups of more than five people outside his own family. During the COVID restrictions, Canadian pastors like James Coates and Tim Stevens went to jail for having church, and very few Christians stood by them. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The church is essential. When it happens again that a tyrannical government wants to impose its will on the church, remind them that Christ, not Caesar, is head of the church. Stand with the apostles who said, we must obey God rather than men when we understand the text. Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Todd, and you know what? Every morning, I wake up with eternity in my crosshairs. I have my sights on heaven. Because over 50 years of living in a wheelchair, it's incredibly challenging, especially at my age. But I'm a little like Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured his cross. So should I not endure mine? Especially when I consider the hands down slam dunk joy that's awaiting me. Oh my goodness, my response to my wheelchair is accruing for me happiness on the cosmic level. So shouldn't I be joyful? Even if on earth I may have to taste a small sample of the hell that Christ ultimately rescued me from. The Bible says that your afflictions are winning for you a rich reward for all of eternity. It means every time you muster a godly response to your trials, your eternal joy becomes weightier and bigger and happier and far more glorious. So would you join me in setting your sights on heaven and living for the Lord of joy? Thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. Um, now we're going to have a guest, uh, Drew Vanita, and he has a show with Chris House called Matter of Theology and helps out with Striving for Attorney show uh, called Paul J. Spies on Thursdays at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern Time, and also has a YouTube channel called Matter of Theology. And... Let me bring him on right now. Hello? Hey. Hey there. Is it you? <laughs> it's me. Yeah, it's me. On my show, um, uh, it took a little while, but we got there. <laughs> That's 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I think it's been about a month trying to oh. find oh, out for wow. the right time. Well, you, you wanted to do it last week, but I saw your message too late, so I couldn't do it. Because um, with my thing called Love Talk Radio, um, the platform, they only let you do mm-hmm. one a day. So mm-hmm. once you gotcha. do that, you can't do it again. Yeah. So I couldn't make, even put another one that day. But it's mm-hmm. good that you're here now. And I'm going to get my questions ready. Um, I uh, want you to start. I I like to ask my guests um, their testimony, how they became a Christian. So can you do that for me? Sure. Yeah. Um, and that's a, you know, that's always a good question to ask the now. Yeah. I don't have some, uh, I don't have some really crazy story, you know, behind my salvation and, um, you know, I was in high school, and I was going to just a small Southern Baptist church in Kennesaw, Georgia, and the youth pastor, we we had actually just started going to this church not very long. I think I was about 16, 17 years old, and we hadn't been going there very long, but the youth pastor was uh, very intentional about giving me the gospel at every moment um, that he could, you know, we went on a, on a youth retreat, we went skiing and he'd, he'd pull me into the, the back of the bus on the way there and give me the gospel and say, do you know Christ? And I would say, you know, no, I'm not ready for that yet. And, you know, and he, he was just very adamant about it until finally it was just, you know, giving into the gospel, uh, realizing <laughs> who Christ is and what Christ had done on my behalf and that I'm not worthy of it. Therefore, I must submit to him, you know, and then, uh, you know, so, but as I grew older, as I grew up, uh, I found my way into a vineyard church, you know, so it was a very charismatic church and I was there, I was there for a little while. And, uh, I, th- there's some, there are some benefits that some takeaways that I had, cause I knew, I knew the pastor really well. I knew his kids. We were always together, hanging out always, almost every day in the summer, you would find us all together. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I started playing worship music on the worship team there. And, but it was something where I would just, I, I just had this feeling that I wasn't getting the full gospel. I wasn't, I wasn't actually learning about Christ. And so that was, that was actually when the moment I started studying for myself, right? So, mm-hmm. So I had my I had my affections changed for Christ at uh, at around 16, 17 years old, but it wasn't until you know my early 20s where I was like, you know, I'm I'm I don't know who God is. I must know know who He is in order for me to actually worship Him correctly. And that was when I started actually studying the Bible and studying theology, and most importantly, studying the attributes of God, because we can't, you, you can't know God unless you know his attributes, right? Those are the, the those are the yeah. reflection of his nature and his character. And so then it, it, it almost hit me more like a ton of bricks than, uh, than my initial, you know, uh, coming to the Lord in, at 16 and 17. It was like, wow. I've I've claimed to 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 worship and serve this God that I really knew nothing about, and it was almost like that part was a a more full 
submission. It was a, okay, this is, this is definitely who this God is. And I'm, therefore I must worship. I must live differently in my life. And so, so, so my salvation, my testimony is kind of two parts. It starts around 16, 17, but it really culminates in my early twenties. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, um, you don't have to be, but I was just wondering, I know you're Christian, but do you like adhere to uh, Reformed theology? Yeah, yeah. So I would consider myself a Reformed Baptist that holds to the 1689, the Second London Baptist mm-hmm. Confession of Faith. And that's something that I came into about, oh my goodness, uh, maybe <laughs> a little more than five or six years ago. Because uh, oh, I had okay. been studying Reformed theology, and I had been studying, uh, you know, basically Calvinism, the doctrines of grace. I had been studying those things, but Reformed theology is so much more than just Calvinism. It's so much more yeah. than just the doctrines of grace. It begins with sola scriptura, and then it extends out from there. And so once I started reading the confession and the confession and the confessions are just these summaries of of scripture right of the truths of scripture and so reading this confession i was like this is 100% what i believe about scripture and so uh and that's the great thing about a confession as well is because they're they're 100% grounded in scripture although I think we need to we need to baptize the Westminster so it becomes a little more correct on the baptism portion. <laughs> um, but but, uh, but yeah, I I, I would uh, I would consider myself a, re- a Reformed Baptist uh, in that sense. Yeah, me too. I go to a Reformed Baptist church. I okay. Think it's pretty good. Okay. I guess I um well uh you I mentioned before that. You have a, um, a show and a YouTube page that's called Matter of Theology. Um, would you like to talk about both of those? Sure, sure, yeah. Now, the YouTube doesn't get as much uh, use because it, it just takes a while to sit down and record a video and then do all the editing mm-hmm. to put that together and then post it. So, so the YouTube page doesn't get a whole lot of use. But, uh, yeah, so Matter of Theology, it's a podcast – that we that me and Chris started at the at the beginning of the year in 2019. So it was literally like January 1st, 2019. We started Matter of Theology, but it, but the origins of it actually go back to a couple years before that, to around 2015 or so. It started as a blog that's really no longer in existence, and that started because I was talking to a guy that he went to this Todd White thing. Todd White had come into town, and he was doing some evangelism training. And let's just say uh, Todd White is no Ray Comfort, okay? <laughs> there, there's night and day differences. And so this, this guy went to this training, and he was telling me about it. And I said, I said okay, uh, so what did you learn? Right, and and I'm trying to I'm trying to go through everything that he learned, and absolutely none of it was about giving the gospel to someone. And so I just told him, I said, "Well, look, your evangelism is actually missing evangelism. 
you're not doing evangelism because you're not giving anyone the gospel. And so the, I started this blog called Matter of Theology, and the first thing that I wrote on it was this little article called Your Evangelism is Missing Evangelism. And so uh, I had a I had a couple a couple articles from there and I'd post periodically but mostly uh I went to Chris about this idea of a podcast. I said, "Man, we need to start a podcast." Cuz at the time, I mean, you, th- there's so many pod Christian podcasts out there, right? We you I mean you've got Apologia, yeah. you've got Dr. White, you've got all of Andrew Rappaport's podcasts. Right, you just yeah. you just got so many podcasts, and we were listening to things, and we were, but we were looking at the church, and we were like, well, I think we we could have something to say here, um, and so so we said, well, what are we going to call it? And I said, well, I got this name, Matter of Theology, um, and we just so we just took loved it, took it, ran with it. A guy from our former church actually drew our logo; um, he did it for us. And then, uh, you know, we kind of went from there. And so we've been going since 2019. And you can actually find um, one of our earlier episodes where I actually did a, a episode by myself called Your Evangelism is Missing Evangelism. If anyone wants to know, you know, what that was all about, uh, you can find it on our podcast. But we, I mean, we've we've talked about so many different topics. We've had so many wonderful guests on, like, Virgil Walker and Tom Buck and Andrew Rappaport and uh, Justin Peters. You know, we've had so many great guests. Chris recently, one of the more recent episodes, actually interviewed uh, Shannon Halliday, who was the director of the Essential Church movie. So that's kind of the more recent episode. But now we – and we've kind of added things to the mix – so Chris will do these things every now and then called Mana for Today, which is like a little devotional. And then we do this other uh, – it's almost its own separate podcast. We should almost make it its own separate podcast, but we still do it through Matter of Theology. And it's called the Dead Guy Reader Society. And it's basically where we take an old work, an old book, you know, maybe like a Puritan work or a work from a reformer. And we talk about it. We give a little biography, and then we talk about this particular work and how it has impacted us in our reading it and how how it should affect our our view of God and how it should grow us closer and um, how we live our lives. So the Dead Guy Reader Society has been a huge hit with people. The problem is our schedules are so just full with with other things, we don't get to record much anymore. Because now, because when I start, when we started, Chris's Chris, uh, his son was very young, and I, my wife and I, we were we were still pretty much newlyweds, and so, you know, I could I could record all the time. <clears throat> now I've got two kids, two small kids, and so it's it, finding time to do that is is very very difficult. But. Uh, yeah, matter of theology, it's still going. We you can find us on on all the socials. We're on Twitter and Instagram. We've got a Facebook group that we have. Are you a part? Um, sorry, are you a part of the? I think it's called the Christian Podcast uh, Community. Yeah, yeah. So so I am. Uh, I'm on the Christian Podcast Community in the group. Uh, Matter of Theology as a podcast is a part of the Christian podcast community and striving for eternity. 
And that's actually how <clears throat> it was really funny. It's how I met Andrew because I was I was Googling, you know, Christian podcast yeah. networks and things like yeah. that. And one of the first ones that came up was Christian podcast community. And, uh, and so I, I through, through a couple other people, I had found out that Andrew Rappaport was the head of that. And I didn't, I really didn't know Andrew. I hadn't heard of Andrew. And so, well, he was going to be at G3 that year. And so I was like, well, I'm going to be at G3. I'm going to go look for their booth. <laughs> and so that was, and that was actually the first time I met Andrew. And then we did the application and did the interviews and all that um, to be on Christian Podcast Community. And I think I think to this day, Andrew Rappaport is the most reoccurring guest on the show. <laughs> He's been on mine like at least two times, maybe a little bit more. Um, so he yeah. talks with that. I, he has a good voice too. I like his voice. Uh, he sounds mm-hmm. good when he talks. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's uh he's a character for sure. You know, he 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 is a character. Uh but, you know, I I absolutely love Andrew. You know, he's he's the guy a guy that will uh whatever you need, if he can find a way to do it, he'll do it for you and he won't ask anything in return. You know, that's that's the kind of guy Andrew is. Yeah, I'll take you out for He's like Cece. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was thinking, okay, um, yeah, you mentioned, mentioned, um, Andrew, this, so this goes with it. Um, you, I noticed recently, like you started, um, uh, hosting with Trying for Attorney, the, uh, Apologetics live show come on Thursday mm-hmm. on YouTube and Facebook. And mm-hmm. uh, I was wondering how you got to, uh, how that happened. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> really it's just a short story. Andrew called me and said, hey, would you mind helping out for a couple weeks for Apologetics Live? And I was just like, well, yeah, sure, I would love to because I tune in every Mm -hmm. week, and and usually people would see me in the comments, and then every once in a while I would jump on the show um, and and whatnot. But uh, he he called me and he said, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to need help uh, for a little bit because, you know – uh, Dr. Silvestro and Justin, they've, they've got just so much going on and he just needed help with, with doing the podcast and keeping track of comments and questions and things like that. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'd, I'd love to do it. And so, you know, I just kind of started jumping in on there with him every, every week. And, you know, it's, it's been a blast. Uh, and, and it adds a different dynamic as well with me being a post-millennialist and him being a dispensational premillennialist, right? So, and you've yeah. seen that, right? Yeah. So you've seen the uh, kind of the back and forth and then the jabs that we throw at one another. And it makes it fun. But uh, I think most importantly what it does is it it drives people to Scripture. It drives people not to just go, okay, well, I'm just going to take his word for it. You know, or I'm going to take their word for it because they all kind of believe the same thing. It's, oh, well, we've got someone that believes this way, but he believe, but then the main host believes this way. Well, I'm going to go to scripture and I'm going to weigh these things. And if I have questions, I'll ask. And I think, uh, I, I think that's what's lacking in the church today is, you know, people being driven to scripture to search these things out for themselves. 
themselves. And then another thing that it does is it shows that we can have differing views on certain things and we can yeah. still have unity. We can still have fellowship because that's another thing that's lacking in the church is that people will say they'll take some kind of secondary or tertiary issue and they'll go, well, I don't agree with that. You're a heretic. Therefore, I can't fellowship <laughs> with you. Well, yeah. no, 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 no. This, this is not a salvific issue. Okay. Uh, we can still have fellowship with differing views of this. And, and I think, uh, I, I think Andrew and I work well together. Um, we, we've always had just a really good relationship whenever I see him. And I, and I, I've really looked to Andrew as a mentor of sorts for the past couple of years. Uh, you know, if I have, I know if I have a question about something or an issue, you know, if I ask him, I know, you know, he'll give a thoughtful answer. And I know if I'm wrong in something, you know, he'll pull me aside and tell me where I'm wrong. And so I really look to him not only as a friend, but as a mentor as well. And and, and that's something – and Jim Osmond too. Uh, I absolutely love Jim Osmond. So one of the things that I try to do – is I want to surround myself with older men who have a lot more experience that I can go to or that they can speak into situations because then I'm going to be able to grow, right? I, I never want to arrive at a place where I go, well, I've got my degrees. I've got, I've got my bachelor's. I've got my master's. I've got my podcast. I've got, you know, my platform and following and things like that, you know, I'm good. I don't need to, to I don't need to hear from you. Absolutely not. I, I want people who are older than me, more mature, who've been doing ministry a whole lot longer that I can look to and that I can, uh, I can lean on and I can just glean knowledge and wisdom from <clears throat> because, you know, that's, that's discipleship right there. That that's what the that's another thing that yeah. the church has gotten away from older men speaking into younger men. Mm-hmm. I've uh, I I that at my church there's a lot of older uh, women and men and and I I learn I see that they're uh, they're sure they're they're teaching and and they um we we uh on a Santa, um. We do all together. We, I feel like, 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 yeah, they're kind of like mentors too. And also, you mentioned before um, about the uh, tribute to God. Um, Andrew actually has on his Striving for Attorney uh, website. He has the tribute to God. Um, well, ones that he came up with, and I got it. Mm. Um, it's on put on this thing. It's like a kind of little little poster thing. And it uh, it's only $2.50, and it, it mentions the Teresa dot. And yeah. so if you guys want to get that, you get strivingforeternity.org, strivingforeternity.org. And also, um, I was wondering, like, uh, what's, uh, since I can't come up with that, uh, what's your, what, one of the, like, strong, uh, which uh, attribute do, do you like? I know you're supposed to go for all these. Uh-oh. Uh, what attribute of God do I do I like? 
um, yeah, yeah. That that's really a hard one. You know, it, it's really a hard one because <clears throat> because they they're all like, necessary. Yeah. yeah, they all go together, and they all just fit beautifully together. Even the justice of God, right? His judgment, His just yeah. uh, nature, because that is if you if you think about like a diamond, right? If you just hold a diamond up to the sky, you don't quite get all the sparkle, right? But if you put that diamond behind the black felt, it really yeah. shines. And so imagine the diamond as all of the other attributes of God and then his justice as the black background, and then it magnifies all of the other attributes so his love his mercy his grace right it just it makes those things just shine more brilliantly but in terms of which particular attribute that kind of lays hold of me mm-hmm. i would probably have to say it's his patience <laughs> excuse yeah. me for coughing i'm getting over oh, a little I cold that's a true <laughs> you know you cough it's okay <laughs> But uh, but his patience, because I th- I think his patience is one of the one of the most neglected attributes that people talk about, right? They don't talk mm-hmm. about it as much as they do his love. And really, if we look at the modern church, it's almost like they deify God's love because that's all they talk about. They don't even touch mm-hmm. any of the other attributes. But his patience, God dealing patiently with his creation that is constantly sinning against him in one way or another. So you have the the rebellious hazers of God, those who shake their fist. <clears throat> they, they don't love God. They hate him, so they seek to rebel against him, and God is patient with them. He still shows his grace upon them. But then you have the Christians, the believers, those that he has drawn. We, in our striving for holiness and striving for godliness, to be made in the image of Christ, we still battle sin. We are still putting our sin to death. And though we have not arrived yet, he still is patient with us, tender with us caring for us, and it is said, I think it was, <clears throat> I think it was Stephen Charnock in his, in his work on the attributes of God, where he said, God's patience is the first instance of his mercy, and when I read that, it cut me to the heart, because then I started thinking about, well, how often do I just take for granted the patience of God. And then when I take for granted the patience of God, I'm also taking for granted his mercy. It's almost like taking advantage of someone in a way, saying, oh, yeah, I know that they'll forgive me. I know that they'll be merciful upon me. Therefore, I don't have to worry about it. No, that should cut us to the heart, and especially God's patience when we think about all that we have done and then all that we deserve and yet he still 
refrains from giving us what we deserve. So I would say God's patience is probably what the attribute that uh, most cuts me to the heart. <clears throat> I like the um, the one that gets to me is the uh, immutability because um, mm. is that the one that said God doesn't change basically? Right. Uh, yeah, because with yeah. that one, um, it reminds me of, of the uh, part of the Bible where it says Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. So, like, he started it, he's going to finish it, he's going to keep you to the end. Mm-hmm. So, well. Yeah. Yeah, abs- absolutely. <clears throat> and then his, I mean, and just thinking about his immutability, he does not change. His immutability is directly tied to his eternalness, right, eternality, yeah. that he is from from eternity into eternity. He is from the he is the God who has no beginning. So he he was always existing, and then yeah. he will always exist. And I think it, and to quote Charnock again, in speaking on this, he said, uh, God's eternality is his attribute of immutability applied to time. So he doesn't change, and he doesn't change for all of eternity. Yeah. That's mind-blowing. That's, that's one of those things we can't just wrap our heads around. And it's, yeah. and it's, it's one of those, those issues that should cause us to stop, realize how small we are, and how reliant upon uh, how reliant we are upon this great God, and then worship. Have you heard? Um, it's a, uh, he's a reformed rapper called uh, Shylin. He he had this one mm-hmm. album called Tribute to God. That that one's pretty good. He he mm-hmm. packs so much theology into all like most of his songs. They just I just really like them. I play them on here sometimes on my show. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, he's a uh he, he's really good because I think it's <clears throat> what he calls it is he calls it lyrical theology. Yeah. So he just takes he takes theology and he puts it into rhyme, which is it's really good yeah. for remembering things, right? It's a good mnemonic device for remembering uh important or difficult theological uh topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um I uh um well, cuz me I I used to listen to or even sometimes hear, like, I like the way it wraps down, but then it has all those, you know, bad lyrics and talking mm-hmm. about bad people about, about, like, women and stuff and um, all kind of bad stuff that are, not that women are bad, but, but, like, the way they sing about women. So then I liked him when I, when I, when I heard him. And he also had a children's album I really liked. I, I was hoping he'd do more. Or that he's really good at that too, and mm. the one the the ones who do the song here, um, uh, have you ever heard of Go Fish? No, I have not. Oh, okay, they're another they're a band that does a they don't do rap, but they do um they did more acapella before, but they also do music with it. Um, they're good at they have this the song that I um even start to show off with. It's called the VRBLE. It takes it from the old song, the VRBLE, and they put their little okay. spin on it. They, they're pretty good with their um, theology, and they know, like, I think they probably had influence from Ray Comfort, too, because, like, uh, they have a song about the Ten Commandments and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. 
So mm, okay. I know it's not, not it's not doesn't mean that Recovery Volume One does that, but um, he he especially does use that. Um, I got to meet him one time too. That was cool. I used to live mm. where he um, where he has his um, his headquarters. I used to live there, Belfar. Okay, yeah, I, I I've never met him. Um, uh, so I'm hoping one day, um, and yeah. I know it'll be through Andrew. I'm hoping one day I will get to yeah. meet him. Yeah, I haven't met Addy in person yet. I live on the um, west coast, and um, he sometimes I think he does. I don't know if they're still doing, it, but they used to do the um, it's called NorCal Fire. They used to do that for the Northern California, rather than Southern okay. California. He, he did that because they already have like ambassadors academy with the way to master in the Southern California. So he did, he was mm-hmm. doing a North one and he was doing in, he used to call it Jersey fire. I don't know if he's still doing those anymore, but that's what came to mind. Um, is there mm-hmm. anything like, um, I know you, you speak of what you already working on and you have like lots of, uh, you've been busy. I mean, but, um, is there anything that you have uh, that you were thinking about working on or doing in the future? Um, well, I do have I, I do have another podcast that I do as well. That's oh. apart from Matter of Theology, and it's called For Life and Godliness. Now, oh. it's not on it's not on the Christian podcast community. But uh-huh. uh, it's actually through Servants of Grace, which is headed up by Dave Jenkins, um, who's a, a really dear brother. He's written a couple of books. G3 published his, last, his latest book um, about uh, the Bible. And uh, <clears throat> so I do For Life and Godliness, and I just ended season two. So we're kind of in mm-hmm. that mid-season break. And the the point for that, I started that in – Golly, I think it was 2022. I think it was like right at the beginning or right at the end of 2021, beginning 2022, uh-huh. something like that. And the whole point was to make these little shorter, could be more devotional, that could apply more, that could bring more application, and then point people and encourage them to continue on pursuing holiness. And so that was kind of the premise with that. So sometimes I'll do – I'll go over a Bible verse or a, or a passage, or sometimes I'll, I'll bring out just a book, something that struck me in a book, and I'll, I'll do a little 15, 20-minute thing about that. Sometimes if I have – if I've preached somewhere and they recorded it, you know, I'll post that. But then I also have, uh, you know, some friends that will kind of stand in. Um, and, and do some episodes as well. You know, Dave Jenkins has actually covered for me a couple of times and in doing some episodes. And then uh, I got a friend that's looking to looking to get in on that and, and do some things as well. So, so it's, it, it's, that's continuing to grow. And most people don't know about that because I don't, I don't go out and market it. Like I don't really talk about it. Uh, I, I let just other people do that. If it, if the Lord takes it somewhere, he takes it somewhere. Um, I'm not one that's huge on building platform or anything like that. So I don't advertise uh, any of my stuff. 
Well, I say I don't. Every now and then I'll, I may share an episode that I did, but I'm not I'm not one of those guys that's out there sharing everything, every play, saying, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If you happen to stumble upon it and it helped you, praise the Lord, you know. But I'm not looking for for any uh, accolades or anything. I just want to do what I can to help serve the body of Christ. And if that's through someone listens to a 15, 10, 15 minute devotional about something and that helps them, well, then praise the Lord, you know. So that's uh, so that's kind of uh, what I'm doing now. But uh, really, um, th- there are areas where I'm just kind of taking a step back a little bit, and I'm I'm helping in other local churches. So I help in my my in-laws' church on Wednesday nights with their Bible study every now and then because their their theology is a little off, but uh, they so so they need help in areas like hermeneutics and interpretation and reading the Bible and. Uh, a lot of what they do is man-centered rather than Christ-focused. So whenever they ask me to teach, I always make it a point to point everything to Christ and away from ourselves. And that's been going really well. Um, they keep asking me if, to help them out. And, mm-hmm. you know, as long as I can point them to Christ, then I'm willing to do that. So, So I've been focused on the local church more and kind of the people in my nearest community uh that's that's kind of where my my focus has been as of late okay you mentioned the uh the gospel i was wondering if you could share with maybe someone maybe someone doesn't know or even someone who already does know i may refresh them on what the gospel is yeah absolutely so the gospel is God's redemptive plan for saving sinful men. Now, what it is, is we have sinned. We have rebelled against God. We are deserving of his his wrath. We are deserving of his judgment. But God sent his son to be born of a virgin in order to live out his law, his righteous standard for holiness, because we could not do that. He lived it out. He, he procured or obtained for us the righteousness that we need in order to stand before a holy God. Because in our sin, we cannot stand before a holy God. And so Christ lived out the righteous standard, and then he went to the cross in our place. The perfect and spotless Lamb of God went to the cross in our place. He died the death that we deserve, right? He bore our sin upon himself, meaning he took the full weight of your sin and of my sin, and he was charged as guilty, which is what we deserve. And he took the full wrath of God on the cross. He was buried, and then on the third day, he rose as the exclamation point to his statement, 
it is finished. And then he ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. <clears throat> and what we must do, our response to that, is we must repent of our sin. We must realize we are not deserving of such graces and mercies and beauties from God, that we fall short, that we need a Savior. We must recognize those things. We must deny ourselves. We must repent of our sin, meaning turn away from it. We turn away from our sin and we look unto Christ. And then we we place our faith in Christ. We submit to him and we believe that what Christ did was actually true and it actually has an effect to reconcile us to God to where now we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ because he obtained that righteousness that we need and so when we repent of our sin and we place our faith in Christ we are imputed that righteousness <clears throat> meaning it is the righteousness that Christ has it is credited to us so that when God looks at us clothed in the righteousness of Christ those those beautiful pure white linens of Christ's righteousness he looks at us and he sees Christ and then he looks at the cross and he sees our sin paid for that is what the gospel does that is that is the gospel and that's its effects and then from there we live we live our entire life in service and worship to the glory and honor of God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, I was wondering before, that was very good, before you go, um, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners or any last words? Um, you know, the, if I had to leave... Uh, your listeners with one thing. Well, it, it would probably be more than one thing. Okay. It would definitely be more than one thing. Mm-hmm. So one, so the first thing is always be in your Bible, studying your mm-hmm. Bible, because you cannot follow a God you don't know, and you cannot worship properly a God you don't know. And scripture is God revealing himself to us. And therefore, if we are to know God, then we must diligently study his word. That's also how God speaks to us, right? We don't – God doesn't speak as he spoke to the prophets, right? We, we just did a show on this, right, um, about mm-hmm. hearing the voice of God. So how does God speak? He speaks through his word. We speak back in prayer and then worship. So the first thing is be continually studying your Bible. The second thing, be involved in a local church. Christ died for the church. So someone somewhere may listen to this and hear that and go, well, I don't need to be a part of the church. I don't like the church. It's full of hypocrites. Yeah, and Christ died for them. 
right? I mean, everywhere yeah. you go, there's going to be hypocrites. There's going to be hypocrites at your job, at your school, wherever. They're, the world is full of them because we're all sinners, right? Yeah. But we must love the church because Christ laid down his life for the church. And so we must serve in our local churches. So read the Bible, serve your, lo- your local church, and then I'll say this one, <clears throat> pursue holiness, continually pursue holiness. There is a life worth missing, and it's the life of selfishness. It's a life of sin. It's a life that separates me from the love of God. When we pursue holiness, we are pursuing Christ-likeness. We are pursuing that, relate, that ongoing, continual relationship with God. Now, we're not going to be perfect. None of us will ever be perfect this side of heaven. But we must – if God has saved us through Christ and we have repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ, then we must serve him. And we must live how he has said to live because then we are displaying that we are his possession. So read your Bible, serve in your local church, pursue holiness, and tune in to Apologetics Live on Thursday nights. <laughs> yeah, that's like me doing my – yeah, my I do my Yeah. And when yeah. they when I do on there, like um sometimes listeners go up a little bit on, on my site. Mm-hmm. I get that yeah, thanks for uh doing that. And um I just want to thank you for uh even though it took a while. Uh thank you for being on actually very good um uh and longer than I thought discussion because I only had a few questions. So thank you right. for being a good speaker. Being a good speaker. <laughs> I, I no problem. Yeah. I know you're going to say a lot of stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank it's you. Just, thank you for the invite. Thank you for having me. And, you know, thank you for being welcome. patient with, uh, you know, trying to find yeah. a, a time that works good for yeah. both of us. Yeah. Thank you too, and um, I'm gonna say goodbye, and um, and I'm gonna do the rest of the show. Thanks for again. All right, thank you. That was Drew Von Nita, and like I said, you could hear him on Matters of Theology podcast, which is part of the Christian podcast community, and um. He has a YouTube page. He only has a few um, uh, his actual videos right now, but you can still watch that there at Matter of Theology. So check that out on YouTube. And like you said, on um, Paul Jake's Live on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 Eastern Standard Time. And you could uh, listen to that. It's on YouTube at the Paul Jake's Live. And if you want to get more information about it, go to strivingforeternity.org, strivingforeternity.org, and you could get more information about the show and and Andrew at the store. Like I said, he has the tribute to God that you can buy. It's, a, it's got a pretty good list of it, and it's good quality. 
It's only $2.50 right now unless he's changed it. As far as I know, it's $2.50, so check that out. Um, it's, it's worth getting to uh, know more about God. And what I'm going to do for you now is to play a song. And the song is This Is My Father's World. Recent breaking news out of Haiti, the largest, most powerful earthquake in the region's history. The federal judge's ruling is allowed to stand. This year's National Day of Prayer could likely be the country's last. I will be done. I'm blessed. I didn't have The number of hungry people worldwide has reached 1 billion for the first time since 1970. For us this day, a daily bread. And forget what just passed. A few moments ago, something crashed into the south tower of the World Trade Center. But the reverse from evil, from thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me.
Christian evolution? This is Ken Ham, heading up the ministry that built a 510-foot-long Noah's Ark. We've all heard the story. On the Galapagos Islands, Charles Darwin noticed small variations within finches. And some of these birds had larger beaks for cracking open seeds. Others had smaller beaks for eating insects. He then mused that those small changes between species could add up to big changes between kinds. We recognize that, of course, as the idea of evolution. But has 200 years of research confirmed Darwin's ideas? Well, we now know that the genetic variability for various big sizes already exists within the finch kind. Nothing new has been created on the Galapagos. And without new genetic information, evolution's impossible. Find out more about science and the Bible at our website, AnswersRadio.com. And plan your visit to the Ark Encounter, where kids 10 and under are free at AnswersRadio.com. Joy. For our joy and, and yeah. 
fearfully and wonderfully made. Through each the glory of God display. God made me and you. For all the value, all our loss. All the great need for the cross. Jesus died, rose, and paid the cost. God made me and you. Different colors and different shades. All fearfully and wonderfully made. Through each the glory of God display. God made me and you. Thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. And remember, check us out, truthbetoldradio.com, truthbetoldradio.com. And for me, smilesandstuff.com, S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O, smilesandstuff.com. And let's go out with Yancy and friends and the B-I-B-L-E. Bye for now.